0: Well, we are in Acts chapter 15, this whole month we're doing Acts because Acts is really the, the last, um, other than Revelations, it's really the last book in the Bible. It's Luke's second volume, the Gospel of Luke, and then here we have Acts, and, um, which is really the history. It's a whole different genre, really, of writing. And we're in, we, you know, Lori was telling me, she goes, so where are we at in Acts? She said yesterday, and I said, we're in Acts 15. Well, last Sunday we were in Acts chapter 1. She goes, oh, well, I got some catching up to do. Like, yeah, you do 15 chapters. So if you're reading along with Acts, you might want to hurry up because you got work to do. But here we are in Acts chapter 15. Uh, and Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to be beginning in verse 12. And I think it's on the screen as well. The, so you're just dropping in on the middle of a, of a meeting here. The whole assembly, the council meeting in Jerusalem, the whole assembly kept silent and listened as Barnabas and Paul as they told all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews, particularly Greeks. After they finished speaking, James replied, "Um, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophet as it's written. After this, and he's quoting like Joel and Amos. It's really kind of a poem, and it's a little bit of a mishmash on some various uh, texts out of the Old Testament. But it's from the Old Testament prophets from hundreds of years earlier. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. And I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called, Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, um, James continues, Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble these Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from whatever has been strangled, and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has uh, had those who proclaimed him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. So you're dropping in on, on something here. There's a meeting going on. And you're gonna, I'm going to backtrack on this in just a little bit. But what you want to pick out here initially is, is pay attention to what the prohibitions were for the Gentiles. We come to this hottest topic in the first church. If you want to know what was going on in the first 15 years of the church, this is it right here. The hottest topic in the first church was food, food, of all things. In the first few months and years of the first church, the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads over the entire Roman Empire, all over the place. Jews and Gentiles now both are believing, because remember, the Jews are dispersed. There's the diaspora, the Roman Empire, one way to get rid of uh, troublemaking places like Jerusalem was to to, to ship them off all over the place and that'll subdue them so there's the dispersed Jews but now and they're they're quickly were really the first audience of the gospel and in the synagogues that's where Paul and the rest of them went but pretty quickly then uh, the Gentiles were also becoming Christians they were Greeks and, and other people like that okay so that's what's going on the Jews of course That were dispersed as well as that are in Jerusalem and and Antioch are still living by the Jewish law they're still living by the Torah right they're still kosher they're still keeping kosher and this includes many laws about food which food is kosher which food is not kosher right so for Jews kosher is a way of life as a matter of fact just to zoom out to rather a anthropological or sociological statement food creates culture Yes, it creates American culture. You know, we have hot dogs and hamburgers. What other highest pinnacle of food could there be? You know, and other processed foods. That defines our culture. We love that stuff. Cheetos, what are they? <laughs> they ain't cheese, that's for sure. So, um, but food then uh, defines a culture, and then culture has authority. And culture then, and this authority of culture, then normalizes the culture, and it keeps us all safe. We all know hot dogs and hamburgers, they're great. They're cool. It just defines us. You go to a ball game, they could have served anything. But no, they're going to serve hot dogs and hamburgers, right, and, and things like that. So food makes a culture, and food tells us who you are, and food also tells you who you're not, okay, who you're not. And this was the problem. Anthropologist uh, Mary Douglas, in her brilliant book, and actually decoded Leviticus, by the way, Mary Douglas, famous anthropologist in a brilliant book about culture about, called Pollution and Taboo, states that culture reduces ambiguity. And the key to doing this was food laws. What do you do then at this point with Gentiles, Greeks, who can eat all sorts of abominable foods? How do you have table fellowship together in the early church with Jews and Gentiles when the Gentiles are eating gross stuff? More importantly, far more important than in our kind of church, the communion, the Lord's table was a meal and it was more than symbolic. It was the meal that bound everyone together. How are you going to do that with Gentiles? This food thing was a big, big, big deal. So uh, I was watching um, this week, uh, it worked out great for me on this message. Um, I was watching the Avengers Endgames, you know? Oh, it's so sad, it's the end of the whole thing. The Avengers Endgame, and the superhero guy with the arrows, you know, Hawkeye, yeah? And he's at home with his family, and the mom, his wife, yells out into the backyard, What's everybody want on their hot dogs? Mustard or mayonnaise? really and yeah exactly and one of the kids mutters who puts mayonnaise on a hot dog and another child answers ketchup not even offered okay so who in this room this is a very defining point about Lakeland's culture who in this room puts mayonnaise on a hot dog go ahead and raise your hand sinners stone them heretics You don't put mayonnaise on, somebody take them aside (laughs) and correct them. I'm not too excited about the ketchup on the thing, but mustard, yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry. Um, So, and and, you know, and here you go, and you're like, mayonnaise on a hot dog? Like, sorry. You know, uh, you guys thought you were so culturally advanced until we get around to some small things about what do you put on a hot dog. And then you realize you too have petty food, food rules. Now, just to clarify on first pass, we may jump to the conclusion from this morning's passage in Acts 15 that circumcision was the number one hot button. After all, Acts 15 starts off, the very first verse of Acts 15, if you look it up there. Then certain individuals came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, read code, a huge argument, uh, and debate with them Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders and there you have it here's the first real big council of the church is it about circumcision, is it about food it's right here in Acts chapter 15 and it's a big big deal the point is are they going are the Gentiles going to have to keep kosher are they going to have to keep the law right and then verse 20 it says this, I don't think it's up on the screen but it said we, this is what they decide. But, but, we should write to them to abstain. Let's write to the Gentiles and abstain from the things, from, from these things. Things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from whatever's been strangled, and from blood. Paul and Barnabas give their recommendations to Peter and the others at the council. No circumcision. Let's not impose circumcision on anybody. But listen to what they cannot compromise on. Four things. They freak out about this. Okay? Four things, Uh, things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, and from eating meat where the blood is still in it, and from eating or drinking blood. Okay? All of these food prohibitions are in the Torah. It's about Leviticus chapter 17. And later on in the 15th chapter of Acts, the council writes an official letter to be distributed stating that the council's decision and the letter states... For it has seemed good to us, to the, I mean, to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. One, that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, from the blood, from what's been strangled, from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. First official real big document, by the way, of the church is about this. You're like, wow. New Testament scholars agree that the first prohibition, abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, means that food that has been sacrificed to pagan, like Greek gods in various temples, it's been offered up to pagan idols, and then the, the priest or the officiants of that particular pagan temple would just take the meat and they would resell it, right, in, in the local marketplace, and you could go and buy it. Some Christians, and Jews especially, some Christians really freaked out about that, right? Like, I'm not going to eat the meat that's been offered up to an idol. Like, you know, and some Christians are like, meat's meat. I don't care, you know. Um, and then um, Paul addresses this exact hot button, by the way, in his first letter to the church in Corinth. And it's a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles, and Corinth is an important seaport. In the Roman Empire, because it's an isthmus, you can drag boats up and over it uh, to get to the other side of the Mediterranean. And so it's full of sailors and it's full of prostitutes and it's definitely uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the old version. Um, and I'm saying, Paul begins chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians and he says this Now, Paul says, Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Paul goes on to explain then that there is one God and one Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we don't really even care about idols, right? Because they don't have any, they're not divine, they're nothing. But some Christians are very disturbed about eating food sacrificed to idols and then resold. So Paul advises that even though you may not care if someone serves you mayonnaise on the hot dog, you know, just don't do it in front of others that do care. Be kind, be considerate to others, as Paul says, because their conscience is weak. But when you thus sin against your brothers and sisters and wound their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause for their falling, I will never again eat meat, Paul says, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Love. Love. That's what it comes down to. I don't know if I'm that strong. I think I'd kind of said like, you don't eat meat, I will eat meat. Okay, I'll just stand over here. Paul's like, I'll just become vegetarian. It's more important to avoid wounding your brother or sister in Christ than it is to get your own way and eat your mayonnaise on your hot dog. Nothing personal. We don't have rights. We do whatever and do whatever we want. Christians are subject to one another. The hot button issue for the first church was not circumcision, it was food. And for the weaker Jewish brothers and sisters, literally, they couldn't stomach the blood left in the meat, and it made their skin crawl. And I know you may be thinking, like, they are so ancient. We don't have anything like that these days that would make our skin crawl is you just got to come to grips with the fact of how weird this was, that that we laugh at these weird little rules. But let me just bring it home for you. Now, I know what you're thinking. He wouldn't. (laughs) Would he? No. You're a Jewish... There's blood in the meat. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And I know what's going on here now. You're thinking, like, that don't phase me. That don't phase me one bit. I got no problem with you and your pastor chalkboard and all that sort of thing. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Happy? Oh, you want me to share. Is that what you meant? (laughs) That's what it felt like, you guys. That's what it felt like. And that's why it comes out with this really weird thing of these four prohibitions. Because it was just intolerable to them. Now that I violated your soul, perhaps you will forever remember, you know, be like five years from now be like, remember that guy when he ripped, chewed that foil on that stage? Like, what church was that that we were going to that we never went back to? Um, <laughs> and the whole point is, like, stop that. And that's exactly the same sensation the Jews had about consuming blood. Greeks didn't care. They had all sorts of weird stuff. Um, but, the, but the Jews did. And actually, just to go there, most, most cultures don't really like blood left in the meat. I mean, if you're a hunter, you know you know that you're going to drain the blood out. And um, and I saw this firsthand in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, years and years and years ago, um, when I was working at an orphanage. And it was quite disturbing to me, but the, for lunchtime, they just put a goat out there and they tied it up, and then the cook lady just came out there and slit its throat while it was alive, and put a pan down there. Right, and you're sitting there going like, ugh. You know, and if you're a hunter, you're like, what? You know, and the goat just sat there bleeding and bleeding and, um, and then finally fell over. And that was really kind of weird to me. I thought it was a really strange thing. But after all, I was in a very poor place and, um, and that was what they had to eat in order to feed the children. So that's why they did it. So what did we walk away with this morning? What did we walk away with? First, walk away. We must understand then that the first church, the first church had controversies and disagreements. They they had heated arguments, serious debates and councils trying to decide what to do. Now understand this, they had these debates and these arguments over how do we reach people who are far away from Christ? That was the central issue of their debate. They wanted to reach the Gentiles. And by now in the 15th chapter of Acts, the gospel of Jesus Christ was spreading all over the Roman Empire in the first, uh, first, first century. And the new church just needed to figure out how much Jewish moral tradition they were going to have to impose. And the answer, answer comes back, not much. Second walk away from this morning. Those first Christians who figured out that something was much, much larger than their little minds could handle. The Holy Spirit was pushing the good news, and nothing could stop it. This is Luke's theme all the way through the book of Acts, is that silly little humans keep making mistakes, but the Holy Spirit prevails. And the gospel is going forward despite us. That's the second point. Try as they might to disrupt and confuse the mission of God through their little differences... They couldn't stop the mission of God. And so, in a backhanded way, you know, you have to say, like, that's great. You and I goof up. We just can't goof up enough to even stop God. You really can. And just to make it personal, you and I can't goof up your life beyond, beyond repair. Where there is Jesus, there is hope. Amen? Amen. Hang on. Just hang on. Don't give up. There's a God bigger than you and me. Third walk away, sometimes you got to chew a little foil or a scratch a chalkboard. Sometimes you and I have to give up our own personal and moral agendas for the sake of reaching others. The gospel is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. And I remember the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright years and years saying in a lecture, he said... Most church controversies are between those who who like rules and those who don't like rules. And he's a bishop. It's hard to disagree with him. There are rules people and there are no rules people. I happen to kind of lean toward the no rules people. And sure enough, it gets me in trouble. And of course, I also started a church. So sometimes it works out. No rules... Sometimes goes bad and sometimes it goes good. Rules, sometimes it goes bad and sometimes it goes good. How about you? Rules or no rules? Which way do you lean? Well, I hope and pray we find our way to be Jesus to those outside the church. I hope we put the work in to find out what we're going to have to do in order to reach people outside. I hope and pray we follow Paul and Barnabas and James and Simeon and Peter and so many others who have gone before us for the sake of the gospel. That's what I hope and pray for Lakeland and for you and me as individual Christians. I hope we learn these lessons from this very first council of Jerusalem and we pack them into our heart and into our soul and into our mind and walk around with them. And typically on a Sunday, you can go out there and there are people just waiting to listen to your questions. And they'd love to hear what you have to say and what you're doing and why you're here and, uh, and then help you find your way into Lakeland. You know, whatever it takes. This morning, we're kind of putting a pause on it. We'll do it again next week because we have an informational meeting right after church. So we're kind of busy on that one. But we'll get back to it next week. So um, I just simply say this. We think you are here Not by any mistake. We think you're here because just like in the book of Acts, that God has a plan for your life and the Holy Spirit is moving you someplace. Don't give up hope. Chase after God. Make all the mistakes you want. Because God's going to handle it. It may not turn out how we think. But it's there. Amen.